0: This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri land, and this is the full story. This weekend's by-election in the Melbourne seat of Aston will be the first big test of the major party's popularity since last year's federal election. With Prime Minister Anthony Albanese riding high in the polls, Labor sees this as a chance to win back more Liberal heartland. But it's also Peter Dutton's first big challenge since becoming coalition leader, which could have deep consequences for him and the future of the Liberal Party.
1: If they lose this seat, then what prospect does he have of winning seats back in New South Wales and Victoria, which are more progressive than his home state of Queensland? And what future does he have when the Liberal Party will be down to two seats in Melbourne?
0: Today, Guardian Australia's chief political correspondent, Paul Carp joins me to discuss the battle for Aston. It's Wednesday, the 29th of March. So, Paul, tell me about this by-election in Aston. Why do you think it's an important one to watch?
1: So, Aston is a typically a safe Liberal seat uh, in eastern Melbourne. It was held by Alan Tudge, who was a minister in the coalition government, who resigned from politics earlier this year following fallout over his affair with his former staffer, Rochelle Miller. Aston is one of just 3 seats that the liberals hold in Melbourne and after you know a wipe out in uh, the inner city in Sydney it is so crucial to them that they hold on to this seat because if if they lose this seat at the by election then you know Menzies and Deacon are on even skinnier margins and they could they could lose those at the next election and they could be looking at having no seats in Melbourne it's also mm-hmm. the first test uh, for the major parties after the federal election uh, last year. We've had you know, state elections in Victoria and New South Wales, but this is a test of you know, the Albanese v Dutton contest. But Labor's played down expectations. They've said it's very rare for governments to win seats off the opposition at by-elections. In fact, that hasn't happened for more than 100 years. So they are playing down expectations they're going to win, even though Anthony Albanese is riding high in the polls.
0: I mean, Alan Tudge did win his seat at the last federal election, despite all of the scandals that have sort of plagued his office over the last couple of years. Do you think that Labor really does pose much of a threat here?
1: Absolutely, because, I mean, they're running the same candidate that got that big swing to them at the last election on the Labor side. And on the Liberal side, uh, you know, although Alan Tudge isn't on the ticket, the way that the by-election has been brought about is something that voters keep in mind. They generally don't like going back to the polls, so there might be a bit of upset about, oh, why did you contest the last election if we were just going to be back here in, in less than 12 months? Um, and then it hasn't been a great time for him in the meantime either because uh, he's a former human services minister who appeared at the RoboDebt debt. Royal Commission since the last election. So the gloss has really come off Alan Tudge and it's a question of whether that then carries over for the new candidate, Rashina Campbell.
3: Hmm.
0: It's really interesting, Paul. I actually recently drove out to the seat of Aston to try and meet some voters and try and see how they're thinking about voting next weekend. I went to a community centre where Coalition Leader Peter Dutton recently visited with a Liberal candidate for this by-election and I popped into a badminton court there. I met a number of people there who have long voted for the Liberal Party but are really unsure of what they're going to do
3: next weekend. I'm, for, I'm Margaret and I'm from Finchley Gully. So 20 years, long time voting and always in the past I voted Liberal. And I got a real sense that some voters were
0: really disappointed with the outgoing Liberal member in the seat, Alan Tudge. I'd
3: seen him out on the street a few times, listened to him, thought he was very good. Actually thought he could have been possible future Prime Minister. Then he came in and he went up to Parliament And within a reasonable time, he started getting better positions. And I think his attitude changed. Um, I was not at all happy when he had that affair so-called up there. Uh, I felt very sorry for family back home. Um, My uh, preferences were still liberal but much lower because of the way he behaved. In fact, a number
0: of the voters I spoke to were really unsure about which way they'd go this time because they pointed out that both the Labor and Liberal candidates at the next by-election are completely new to politics. What do you make of that, that sort of shift from a trusted, well-known
3: political name to a choice between two completely new candidates? I don't know now. I don't know either of the other two. They're two females. They came right out of the blue um, I think one lives in the area, but the other one doesn't, which doesn't exactly appeal to me at all. Um, and I've got absolutely no idea who I will vote for.
4: Both people haven't got a reputation. In, I, I, I don't know much about them,
1: you know, about Mary Mary Doyle, I think, and the other lady. Labor's vote is getting stronger in the cities, so like they have shown that you know with these seats that have a lot of professionals or university-educated people, like that they can they can win these seats because their vote is improving in that constituency. Um, they had a swing at the last election uh, in in this part of the world. It, it happened again at the state election, so it's possible we could see that again, and it wouldn't take very much uh, for the seat to fall. When it comes to talking about Alan Tudge's personal brand, I think the thing that's interesting is that actually for many elections, he was a positive for the Liberal Party. Obviously, some of that has unwound at the last election with a seven and a bit swing against the Liberal Party. So the the question is whether that personal vote has completely unwound, you know, whether whether voters are still upset about the circumstances that the by-election has come about and the seat's been vacant. Mm.
0: Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about the candidates that are up for this by-election. Let's talk first about Labour's candidate Mary Doyle, who, as you mentioned, ran against Hudge at the last election. I'm Mary Doyle. Yeah. 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 I'm a mum. I live in the Outer East and I want to stand up for locals as your federal member for Aston.
1: Yeah, so Mary Doyle is a former uh, union organiser. She worked at the Financial Services Union and the peak body, the Australian Council of Trade Unions. She went up against Tudge in 2022 and slashed that margin from about 10.1% to Mm. 2.8%. She's a breast cancer survivor, a single mum. That's been part of her personal story and Anthony Albanese has talked about her commitment to Medicare in particular. And Albanese has visited Aston a few times in the last few weeks and done a fair bit of Melbourne radio as well, you know, trying to boost uh, boost her profile and boost Labor's profile in the seat.
0: Mm. Labor has a majority government right now, so how much is it investing in its campaign for Aston?
1: What I'd say about money is that Labor wasn't really targeting this seat at the last election. They were aware that if they got a huge swing, they might win some of the neighbouring seats like Deakin and Menzies. But at the 2019 election, they targeted too many seats and didn't have a clear path to victory in terms of which ones they needed to win to get office. And they didn't repeat that mistake in 2022. So they didn't have this unfocused, we'll go for every seat in Melbourne's east. So I don't think that they targeted this seat as hard as they, they could. as hard as they are now.
0: So the last election sort of proved that even without that much money on on fighting for this seat, there was a massive swing, so it might be worth spending a bit more time there for the Prime Minister this time round.
1: Yeah, I I think that their vote was driven by fundamentals about Victorians not liking the Morrison government um, Mm. and by, uh, you know, upset at Alan Tudge personally, but they haven't thrown the kitchen sink at it yet.
0: Well, it's important to note that even though Aston's historically been a Liberal seat, it's in Victoria, where we've had Labor state governments for about a decade now. I spoke to one woman, Marianne, who touched on this a bit. She's voting Liberal next weekend, as she always does. And then she said something that I heard quite a bit in Aston, which is that she feels like it's because Aston is a safe Liberal seat in a Labor state They've really lost out on critical funding for local infrastructure and she was talking in particular about promises to build a train station in the area.
3: It sort of gets to a point and then money is promised, you know, to go towards it and then the federal has to come in and then also put in, but it never happens. So I think we're sort of forgotten here.
0: Do you think that kind of frustration from voters could spill over into the by-election?
1: Yes. In, in some ways, uh, Mary Doyle and Labor are on the defensive because uh, Aston was one of the places where there were cuts uh, to infrastructure programs in the October budget. Now, I think they've got a reasonable explanation for how and why that happened, that a lot of things were promised that weren't delivered. And so, although it's a cut on paper, those those projects weren't really happening and weren't weren't really feasible. So they've got a decent argument uh, to make about that. But it, it could be it could be seen as Labor weren't doing any favours by this part of the world, and that now they're suddenly paying attention to it. Now now there's a by-election. Some people might be upset about those cuts.
0: Okay, and so. On the Liberal Party side, they had a really big decision to make in finding a new candidate to replace Alan Tudge in this seat. They had to think a little bit differently, given the results at the last election. So tell me a little bit more about their candidate, Rashina Campbell. As a barrister, I've acted for small businesses in Aston, so when the stakes were high, they wanted me to be their champion. It's my job now to be a champion for every voter in Aston, every family, every small business. And I'm going to take the time to listen to them, because they deserve a strong voice for the communities in Aston.
1: So Peter Dutton and other members of the Liberal leadership team said that they wanted to pre-select a woman here. It was a chance for renewal, to get more women into the party after the election review found that that was a a drag on their vote. And they landed on Rashina Campbell, who is a barrister and Melbourne city councillor. She lives outside the electorate, which, you know, could be a drag on their vote. She's from the inner city suburb of Brunswick, but she's tried to uh, make a virtue of this by saying that she will move into the area and that she will be a local champion. The
4: only thing with Rashina Campbell is... Is that she's not from here?
0: Does that bother you? Does it doesn't really bother you?
4: It doesn't bother me really because you don't need to be to be a running an oil company. You really don't need to know much about oil. <laughs> okay, you need to be a good manager, right? So she could be. She could be okay.
0: It's really interesting because a number of people I spoke to in Aston were unhappy with the fact that they were moving someone um, from the inner city Melbourne all the way out to the outer burbs you know one one man put it to me that they're almost in the bush like it's it's really far out of suburbs Melbourne.
5: I'm not going to vote for someone who lives in Brunswick to represent the people out in the eastern suburbs because I think they're uh, dramatically different areas I think you know the issues that and the values of people in the inner suburbs are different to those living live in the outer suburbs. And we're really on the outer suburbs. I mean, you know, past us is bush. So, you know, we live here for a reason. And uh, I just think that's just a cynical, cynical move.
0: And at the last election, we saw that voters weren't willing to accept a parachuted candidate in Christina Keneally in Fowler. Do you think this is a problem for them?
1: I think it depends on the character of the local area about whether people define themselves as being of and from Uh, that place. And there are examples that go either way. So Christina Keneally went to Fowler and paid a huge personal price for that, and it was perceived as opportunistic. Uh, But then Andrew Charlton went to Parramatta and was not from the area and and managed to win that seat without there being a huge negative against him. So I do think it matters to some people, particularly if it's seen as opportunism, as in people will go wherever they need to, to get a seat in Parliament.
0: I mean, Aston is also a pretty diverse electorate. About 15% of the voters there are Chinese-Australian. And I know that the Liberal Party review of their results after the last election acknowledged that the party had a problem connecting with Chinese-Australian voters. And as you mentioned before, Paul, the Liberals also want to improve their standing among women voters too. So beyond Aston... What has the Liberal Party done more broadly to address how it connects with these voters, both Chinese, Australians and women, since the last election?
1: Yeah, so I think there's an acknowledgement that the, the way uh, that the Morrison government and the coalition tried to muscle up to China was incredibly unnuanced, nuanced uh, and People feel that they didn't make the distinction between having concerns about the Chinese Communist Party and the human rights record and uh, observance of international law of China, and how welcome Chinese Australians are. Um, you know, so that they they took it personally and felt sort of personally attacked by it, and and really uh, sort of abandoned the coalition at the last election. I mean you see stories about how they're more active on social media platforms that Chinese Australians use, but I'm I'm not sure how they've completed the outreach or whether they've really improved their offering for that demographic. Similarly, women, they have selected a woman this time. The Deputy Liberal Leader, Susan Lee, has done a listening tour around the country, but they haven't really got runs on the board in terms of what they're doing to fight for women in in a way that, and it's very hard from opposition because you're not making decisions in government, you're not deciding what goes into the budget or whatever else. So it's it's very hard for them to get runs on the board in such a short space of time to to win back those demographics.
0: Next, how are the Labor and Liberal parties trying to win over voters? Ashton is also right on the mortgage belt, right? So Rashina Campbell has been pushing this message that Labor's responsible for high inflation right now, targeting those high cost of living pressures that people are really facing right now while on the campaign trail over the last few
4: weeks. Also, I have a strange feeling that Ashton will go with other things, important things like power prices, stuff, this, that and everything because because Ashton is getting, becoming a very expensive suburb to live in, Right.
0: And that sort of follows a federal liberal strategy to target labour over energy bills and the like. Do you think that could work in Ashton?
4: There are lots of people who came to Ashton like me 40 years ago. And I'm don't. I don't need a, a lot of handouts. But there are people who do need. There are people who are finding it difficult, even though people won't admit it. There are people who are finding it very difficult.
1: Yeah, so it is a mortgage belt suburb. I mean, it's sort of two-fifths own their own home outright, two-fifths own it with a mortgage and less than a fifth of people are renting. So it's a place where you think people would be really sweating on all the interest rate rises that we've seen uh, recently. Of course, the first one happened under the coalition, but we've had, I think, nine or ten, nine since then under Labor. So, They would be feeling the cost of living squeeze that the coalition has really pursued Labor about in question time. They've talked about the uh, interest rate rises and also about power bills, which, you know, Labor passed a package to cap coal and gas uh, prices to uh, try and give people some relief, but they have still gone up because of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, you know, it's pretty clear that voters in this sort of area would be feeling the squeeze.
5: Mm.
0: Well, how does that Liberal strategy compare with uh, Labor and Mary Doyle's campaign, which I think stresses Labor's achievements in free childcare, fee-free TAFE places and the assistance that they are offering to uh, some people on energy bills?
1: I think it really depends whether you think, is my household budget better or worse off than it was 12 months ago, Uh, in which case you might say, oh, well, there have been 10 interest rate rises, so worse, so I'm upset at the government, or whether you give the government credit for things that they have done to ease the cost of living pressures, in which case you might say, oh, you know, the the energy price rebates are coming and and free childcare is coming and, you know, medicine is cheaper, so at least they've done something about it.
3: Mm.
0: I mean, it's interesting because a number of people that I spoke to who had previously voted both Liberal and Labor all said that they were really seriously considering voting for independence for the first time in this by-election. Now, going back to what this means for the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, you know, he's, he's visited the electorate, I think, about six times in the last few weeks. And most of them said that his unpopularity nationally will probably hurt her. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so Peter Dutton is a conservative. Victoria is a very progressive state. Even in, you know, the outer suburbs, it's sort of more progressive than the rest of Australia. Uh, Labor has attacked Dutton, reminding people of what he said about Melburnians being afraid to get dinner after dark because of the, you know, gang issue, which was racialised uh, rhetoric. He's also tied him to the Morrison government's criticisms of uh, the Dan Andrews Victorian government through their handling of COVID. He's
5: from Queensland and I know that when we had the COVID lockdowns, there was a lot of animosity towards um, what happened in Melbourne and I think the government did what they had to do here and time to um, score points politically. It wasn't a time to do that sort of thing and, you know, like you remember these things, they might think, that you know we we only have the memory of a goldfish, but we don't. You know we we've seen what these people have said and done, and you know you remember that. And he thinks he can just change his colours like that. No, nah. and I can't see. In fact, who else? Well, they've got no other no one else. So yeah, I'm there. I think they're in big trouble.
1: So there are certainly uh, a lot of things weighing them down when it comes to the personal appeal of Peter Dutton.
0: So the contest is a really important one for Peter Dutton and and the coalition. But the New South Wales election last week had really cemented Labor's influence at both levels of politics. We now have the only state with a liberal government being Tasmania. So how important is this by-election to the coalition and also the direction that Dutton takes the opposition in in the future?
1: Super important because so far Peter Dutton's approach has been uh, quite negative, uh, more the Tony Abbott style of opposition, where they've opposed a lot of Labor policies. Uh, I mean, this week it's the Safeguard Mechanism and and the Housing Australia Future Fund. He's got criticisms of The Voice and the lack of detail. With very few exceptions, he hasn't been offering bipartisanship to Labor. If they lose this seat, if you can't win on cost of living by being extremely negative all the time, then what prospect does he have of winning seats back in New South Wales and Victoria, which are more progressive than his home state of Queensland? And what future does he have when the Liberal Party will be down to two seats in Melbourne and and those are both on skinny margins and with question marks hanging over them for the next election? Where is the recovery going to come from if, uh, you know, they've lost the inner city to Teals and the rest of metro areas to Labor. And, I mean, I think it could start leadership speculation against Peter Dutton that they need a change of leader. He might be safe in the job just because there's no alternative because Josh Frydenberg was voted out at the last election. But it is really going to cause a hard think about whether recovery is possible under this leader.
0: That was Paul Karp, Chief Political Correspondent for Guardian Australia. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria, Camilla Hannan and Daniel Simo, who also did the sound design and mixing, and myself. Our theme music is by Joe Koning. The executive producer for this episode was Molly Glassy. I'm Jane Lee. Thanks for listening.